Well, good morning. And uh, I wonder what's going to happen this morning. <laughs> I'm warming my hands. <laughs> I just believe that God wants to come and meet with us. He's already met with us, hasn't he, actually? Uh, he's it's all around, so let's just all be expectant um, for what more he wants to share with us. Today is, uh, as you probably know, is what is called in the Christian calendar Palm Sunday, uh, which is the day when uh, Christians around the world will be looking back where, of that occasion when Jesus rode into Jerusalem just five days before he was to be crucified, and the crowds welcomed him and loved him and put palm trees, sorry, put palms from the trees down, uh, a bit like the red carpet we would have today to, to uh, welcome uh, someone famous. Um, and all around the world today, people will be remembering uh, what Jesus did on that day. And I want to touch a little bit on that. And in my, um, as I was thinking about this, uh, some of my thoughts have been, been um, maybe shaped a little bit by this book called The Final Days of Jesus. Uh, by a couple of guys, Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor. And it just goes through chronologically what actually happened that week. And so um, if you're someone who likes to delve into that sort of thing, then maybe that's a book that uh, you might like to uh, look at and and buy for yourself. I'm afraid you can't have that copy because I borrowed it from my (laughs) son-in-law. So I need to give it back to him. Uh, I want to just start off by trying to reinforce the power of God's word. His word is powerful. And um, I don't know about you, but sometimes or when I read scripture, it just seems to be a little dull, uh, maybe because I've read it before, or maybe, I don't know, could be any reason. Uh, maybe we just look at it, uh, maybe like an academic book. But this is God's word. These, this contained in here is the truth. It is not fake news. <laughs> it is the truth. And so I want to try uh, and uh, encourage you to Allow the Holy Spirit, whenever you come to reading Scripture, to make it, let it transform your life. Let it speak into your life in some way. And um, I'm going to be reading different passages today, more than my, my thoughts on it, uh, probably, because I want us to be impacted again by maybe just one phrase that is said or, or that I read, maybe one sentence, maybe one passage Um, So I'm asking you to be active in your thinking um, uh, and not passive. And just to to reiterate the power of this word, I love hearing stories about how God, uh, the Holy Spirit, speaks into people's lives in all sorts of situations and changes their lives. And uh, so, you know, the word of God, let it speak to you this morning. Let it live with you. And um, I want to look uh, at a few 
incidents, two incidents in particular, that happened on that week that started on Palm Sunday. And uh, it's under the title of The Servant King, The Week That Shook the World Forever. The Servant King, The Week That Shook the World Forever. It's a strange, strange uh, um, phrase, the servant king. How can a servant, on the one hand, also be a king? How can a king stoop to become a servant? Uh, there are other sort of apparent opposites in Scripture. For example, like Jesus is described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on the other hand, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion and the lamb, how can they exist together? And yet this is, this is our God, this is Jesus. And to bring it, uh, to try and help us understand these contrasts, um, again, I can't remember who, who said this or who wrote it, but it said of Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, he had no servants yet they called him master. He had no university degree, but they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He had no crime, yet they crucified him. He had no need, yet he forgave them as they mocked. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the saviour of the world. And so we're just going to look at a couple of events during that momentous week that shook the world. Literally, it, the world was shaken on that Good Friday when that earthquake uh, uh, happened. However, God intervened as Jesus died on the cross. The earth shook. But I just want to ask the Lord right now that his word as we read it will capture your heart again and help us to be equipped in the days this week. Lord, I just want to pray right now for your Holy Spirit to come on each one of us. I pray Holy Spirit, that we will not resist you in any way, that we will allow our hearts to respond to what your word for is, us is today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look first of all at John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, uh, whether in written form or on your phones or however. Uh, I'd like you to look to John chapter 12. And just by way of background, uh, as we come to chapter 12, we have just read that Jesus had walked some 15 miles from Jericho uh, to Jerusalem, a walk that would have probably taken many hours uh, in that uh, culture with the, with the mountains there. There was a very steep climb. Jericho was 800 uh, feet below or meters below sea level. Jerusalem was, uh, was 3,300 feet further up. Uh, it would have been a difficult uh, walk. It wouldn't be like your Sunday afternoon walk this afternoon if you go out for a walk where 
you will just uh, enjoy just going along level ground. Uh, it was this, the journey that Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you remember, where there were thieves and robbers. It would have been a dangerous journey so often. But it was on that Saturday, six days before the Passover, that he had dinner in Bethany just outside Jerusalem with Mary, Martha and Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. What an evening that would have been. Crowds were coming to see what would happen. And this is what it says, John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, where Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of his perfume. But one of the disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, and, but you will not always have me. And the, there was a, a crowd there. And not only did the, uh, the, some of the uh, Pharisees and others, but the chief priests were working for an opportunity not only to arrest Jesus, but it says here also that they made plans to kill Lazarus as well. And so this is the setting that uh, th that evening, it must have been some special evening for Jesus and his family there. He would know what the next day and the next few days were going to, 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 uh, to bring. And uh, so starts this momentous week. And um, I wonder what our media would have made of the news that week. No doubt the TV's te special uh, correspondent would have been sent to Jerusalem to report and to analyse on what was happening that day and the next day. He wouldn't have come home that same day because there was something alive, there was something happening. And he would have been told by the producers, stay there, we want the story. And uh, no doubt various programmes would have debated what was happening and so-called experts would come in on breakfast the next day or good morning Britain or whatever. And they would be debating, they would be saying, well, what, what, what's this all about? And uh, uh, I just wonder what, what they would have made of the story of Jesus walking in to Jerusalem. But we pick the story up in verse 12. It says, the next day, which is the day, Palm Sunday, that we're celebrating today, the great crowd had come for the feast of the Passover, that was, had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem from Bethany, where he'd had the, had the dinner the previous night with his family and friends. And they took palm trees and went out before him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. That is, is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done those things to him. The first thing I just want to try and highlight is the servant king's humility. You see, Jesus had a different approach to power, unlike earthly kings. He had a different approach to how to handle money. He had a different attitude, different uh, approach as to how he saw himself. You see, these, in those days, kings wouldn't have written uh, would have ridden in, in triumph into their city after winning battles with a show of strength and apparent power. They would have displayed all the uh, plunder that they had won over the enemy that they had beaten and overcome. Uh, the Jews flocked to see Jesus and hail him as their king, maybe in the hope that freedom would come from Roman rule But the Jews who hailed him five days later would nail him to a cross to die. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a mighty war horse. No king would have ridden on a donkey that had not been ridden on before. He refused to enter the city with gold and silver. The donkey he, he rode on was borrowed he was nursed in a borrowed manger. He preached from a borrowed boat. And he rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Borrowed donkey. And before the week is out, he would be buried in a borrowed tomb. He was one who had nothing. He came as a servant. Let me read Philippians chapter 2. And this is well known if uh, passage, but it just highlights the whole attitude of Jesus. And it says this, that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do, not, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, that made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
every knee will bow one day to the King of Kings who came as a servant. And the second thing, the second uh, event besides the uh, riding into Jerusalem that I just want to highlight from that week happened on the Thursday of that week, the day before Jesus died. And we can pick up that story in John chapter 13. And uh, you can highlight it, the servant king's love. The day before he's crucified, he spends the evening with his disciples. It was, first one, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved the one who went, who, sorry, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. <laughs> How much love has he already explained? <laughs> and yet it says here, he showed them the full extent of his love. Have you ever doubted God's love? Maybe you thought it was perhaps... 50, 60% towards you? No, no. 100%. 110%. He showed his disciples the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. So again, he has a meal. <laughs> so interesting, everything happens around a meal the day before in Bethany uh, uh, and, and, and now um, uh, in Jerusalem. He's the evening meals being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped round them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but again you will understand. You see, the disciples again couldn't fully understand. I wonder how we would have reacted in, in that situation if we'd been there that week. Would, we would have had questions, perhaps, and perhaps didn't fully understand. No, said, uh, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And Jesus, uh, then Jesus, Simon Peter replied, not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And uh, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew uh, who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on uh, his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. You can see how these events seem to interlink uh, these qualities of Jesus, these aspects of his, of his nature. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now you know these things, you will be blessed. 
You see, he's concerned hours before he knew he was going to be crucified was for his disciples, not for himself. He washes their feet. See, none of the disciples had been willing to do such a lowly servant's job because they were still jockeying for position. It would have been a common practice, obviously, in that, in that hot country and hot climate for a servant to wash the feet of travellers and guests as they came into a house. This happens just immediately before what we know as the Last Supper, which we remember whenever we have communion together of the death of Jesus And it reminds us afresh each time we take communion of his servant heart and his love for us. And then if you look on in verse 34 of chapter 13, it says, A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then into chapter 14, we see... Again, what an evening this must have been for the disciples. They must have looked back on that evening uh, when Jesus just uh, uh, washed the, their, their feet and then shared communion. And now he's, he's spending the last hours of his life comforting the disciples. He says, verse 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. What a word that is for us today. What a word, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God. And then he, 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 he shares with the disciples that he is the only one to the Father. This famous verse of chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on to explain about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And he said again, it goes on to verse 27, uh, 25, All this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The same message Jesus is repeating and uh, uh, then again, if you go into, uh, just, just follow this through, he, he talks about uh, chapter 15, he talks about uh, he's the true vine, um, and then how the world will hate them uh, because they're his disciples, and that is so true still today. And in verse, chapter 16, still that same evening, he, he shares about the work of the Holy Spirit, and that the, their grief will be turned to joy when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And uh, he then goes on to pray for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for all believers. (laughs) What a sermon that must have been. What an encouragement that must have been. And yet the disciples were grappling with all that that meant. And then that all happened that evening. It's so much. Jesus knew who he was. He was secure in his Father's love. Despite knowing that he would die. His authority over sickness and nature, demonic powers and ultimately death itself, as we will be no doubt celebrating next Sunday. How will you respond 
to such love? How will you respond to his servant-hearted humility, to his kingly authority that he used so well? Will you follow this man? Will you follow his example? Will you respond again to his call for you to follow him in sacrificial love and service? It's a challenge. <laughs> it's not always easy. I just want to finish by reading a story and then I want us to pray and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us. If you've read this book, Mark, Mark Stibby from Orphans to Heirs, you will have read this story. But I just want to, uh, just to try and try and understand something of the Father's love for us and his son and how he would allow his son to come to this earth and die. Like any story, um, it obviously has its limitations, but I trust that it will give us some little insight into the Father's heart because, you know, it was the Father who sent the Son. The Son did obeyed everything that his Father asked him to do. And as we have just read here, he didn't leave us as orphans. He has sent us the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was glorified in heaven, when he went back to his Father, he sent the promised Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, so that we might know the presence of Jesus like we have done this morning. We can sing his praises. Anyway, here's the story, and then we'll spend some time praying, hopefully. In 1937, a man called John Griffith managed to get a job tending one of the railroad bridges that crossed the Mississippi River. Every day, he would control the gears of the bridge to allow barges and ships through. One day, John decided to allow his eight-year-old son, Greg, to help him. He and his boy packed their lunches with great excitement and high hopes for the future and went to work. The morning went quickly, and at noon, they headed off for lunch down a narrow catwalk onto an observation platform some 50 feet above the Great River. John told Greg stories about the ships that had passed by. Suddenly, they were jolted back to reality by the shrill sound of the engine's whistle. Looking at his watch, John realised to his horror that it was the 1.07 p.m. that it was 1.07 p.m. that the Memphis uh, Express was due at any time and the bridge was still raised. He calmly told Greg to stay put and then ran back to the controls. Once there, he looked beyond, oh, sorry, but beneath the bridge to make sure there was nothing below. As his eyes moved downwards, he saw something so terrible that he froze. For there, lying on the gears, was his beloved son. Greg had tried to follow his dad, but had fallen off the catwalk. Immediately, John saw the horrifying choice before him, either to lower the bridge and kill his son, or to keep the bridge raised and kill everyone on board the train. As 400 people moved closer to the bridge, John realised what he had to do. Bearing his face under his arm, he plunged down the lever. The cries of his son were instantly drowned out by the noise of that bridge, grinding slowly into position. John wiped his tears. 
from his eyes as the train passed by. A conductor was collecting tickets in the usual way. A businessman was casually reading a newspaper. Ladies were drinking afternoon tea. Children were playing. Most of the pa passengers were engaged in idle chatter. No one saw. No one heard the cries of the heartbroken father. Can't you see? Don't you care? I've sacrificed my son for you. What's the matter with you? This story just gives an insight into the father's passion. To be sure, we know that Jesus Christ loved us to death on a cross. Every time we take Holy Communion, we remember the depths of suffering shown by the Son of God. But what about the suffering love of the Father? Have we ever really paused to reflect just how much he felt as he saw his beloved Son dying on the cross for you? Have you ever managed to feel, uh, as the world goes merrily on, ignoring the sacrifice he made? The truth is that the Father loves us with a selfless passion. The word passion comes from the Greek word meaning suffering. The Father's love for us is a love that costs, that hurt, that suffers. We need to remember that our adoption is free, but it is not cheap. It costs the Father dear to send his one and only Son, knowing that we would reject, torture and kill him. Let's pray. Maybe I could just ask the musicians to come back. Perhaps we could sing, just to start with, the uh, uh, how deep the Father's love for us. Let's just all stand. Father, we just want to ask that your Holy Spirit will just come amongst us afresh now. We thank you. You've already been amongst us. And Lord, I just want to pray now that you will just anoint this time with the presence of your spirit. Move powerfully amongst us.